Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. This is RTE Radio 1. Now for this evening's Drama on One. It's another chance to hear the story of a 15-year-old girl's coming of age in 1980s Ireland. This is My Name is Saoirse, written and performed by Eva O'Connor. I've always loved this field. For as long as I can remember, I've been coming out here, ducking through the gap in the barbed wire fence at the back of our garden and out into the hilly acre of long grass. I still have a purple scar on my knee from when I was six and Brendan was eight. We were seeing who could slither fastest through the hole and one of the twisted spikes sliced my skin open. I burst into tears. Brendan distracted me by telling me knock-knock jokes as he piggybacked me up the hill and by the time we got to the top, I'd forgotten all about it. There's something special about the air in this field. The way the wind whistles in your ear like it's trying to tell you something. My bunch of flowers could do with a bit more colour, but the winter's coming, so the hedges are fairly bare. These big wild daisies and dandelions will do, though. The white and yellow are nice together. I love the velvety yellow stains dandelions leave on your hands when you squish them between your fingers. Oi, Sir O'Brien, I'm talking to you. What do you want? Siobhan asked me what I was having to drink. Oi, Sir what do you want? I asked for orange juice but she insisted we both sample the black stuff in order to disprove Brendan's theory that the Guinness out of Wilson's taps tasted like stinking fish. No offence, love, but your brother's a complete tit. What did he know about the taste of Guinness? Hearing Siobhan insult Brendan like that felt like a slap across the face. The anger was rising in me. I thought about spitting in her direction. I imagined my spit landing on the back of her bare leg trickling down her thick calf. Or maybe I should aim for her massive arse. That'd be an unmissable target. Brendan was born in the kitchen, a small cluttered room at the end of the black and white hallway. Geraldine, Siobhan's mam, was a midwife. She was called to the house to help with the birth. She said mam gave them all a fierce fright because of all the blood she lost. Pints of it. I examined the kitchen floor after she told me that, but all the evidence has been scrubbed away. There isn't a single bloodstain to mark where Brendan came into the world. I was born in St. Carmel's Maternity Hospital in Limerick 14 months later. The doctor said Mam couldn't risk another home birth, but she fared worse in a hospital bed than she did on the kitchen floor. Brendan doesn't remember Mam either. We found a photo album that Da keeps in the bottom drawer of his bedside table. Whenever Da would go out, we'd sneak in there and root around underneath all his rolled-up socks until we found it. We'd stare at all the photos, memorising every last detail of Mam, in case it was the last time we ever clapped eyes on her. 
My favourite photo was the one of her holding Brendan as a tiny wrinkly baby. He's clutching onto a strand of her long brown hair with his little scrunched up fist. Brendan says I've the same hair as ma'am. Dow would have killed us if he caught us with that photo album. He never talked about ma'am. Once, on Christmas Day, years ago, Brendan asked Dad to tell us a story about her. Without saying a word, Dad stood up from the table and tipped his entire plate of turkey, ham, stuffing, sprouts and spuds into the bin and left through the back door. Later on, he said it was just that he had forgotten to check on a sick animal. We weren't meant to play inside, but we always did anyway. The main feature of our house is a long, narrow hallway tiled with scratch black and white squares or diamonds, depending on how you look at them. Brendan and me were experts at only ever stepping on the whites because the blacks were dark and dangerous waters teeming with sharks. Brendan would sling me over his shoulders like a sack of spuds and dart down the hallway skillfully navigating all the sharks. As we got older, we moved on to chasing each other down the hallway with rolled up tea towels. Once, when a hysterical shriek escaped from Brendan, we had to leg it outside. Da ran after us and claimed the tea towel for himself. He lashed Brendan so hard across the back of the legs that his knees buckled and his skinny calves bled. I helped him bandage them up with clumps of toilet roll and sellotape. Afterwards, I made him a sneaky cup of cocoa with loads of sugar in it for the shock, even though Da said that cocoa was only ever for special occasions. Hi, it's your and I'm talking to Siobhan, my best friend, lived three doors down in the shadow of the water tower, a huge, disused concrete structure that blocked all the natural light from most of the rooms in our house. Siobhan was from a family of six girls. In that house, silence was an alien concept. You could smell the fiery jealousy that comes with a house full of women as soon as you walked in the door. There was always an argument in full swing over Anya nicking Breed's tights and giving them back all laddered and sweaty in the crotch. Or Deirdre using Eileen's hairbrush and not even bothering to clean it out. Aye, my good hairbrush looks like a hairy fanny now, thanks to you. I never quite knew where to stand as Siobhan fought Mary for that mustard-coloured skirt that looked too small on both of them. Siobhan was the youngest, but she was not to be messed with. She could yank hair, bang doors, bite skin and hold her own in a screaming match just as well as the rest of them. Siobhan was the feistiest person I'd ever met. I loved going over to Siobhan's house. They had Boxes and boxes of broken toys, battered dolls with their eyes gouged out, Barbies with dislocated hips, board games with no dice left in them at all. And better than all the toys was the huge dress-up box that Geraldine, their mam, would lift down for us from the top shelf of the hot press, if we were good. Geraldine said that she used to be very glamorous back in the day, before she had to sacrifice her figure for her six daughters. Me and Siobhan would rummage through the box and fight over all the best outfits. Then we'd parade around the house in long see-through dress slips and old torn communion dresses. 
and we'd have lengths of gaudy beads wrapped around our necks so many times you nearly choked and the noise of our clippy-clappy shoes on the tiles would drive Geraldine mad. I can't believe you're a Wilson's virgin! <laughs> I was relieved Siobhan didn't refer to me being a virgin full stop. I still show what you want! While she was ordering our pints, I chose us a booth in the furthest, darkest corner. I hoped none of the owl lads in here would recognise me. The upholstery in the booth was torn, and I picked at the scratchy yellow stuffing, distracting myself from my nerves. All the fine fellas come to Wilson's to unwind, Saoirse. I glanced around, hoping to spot one. Then I realised I didn't even know what a fine fellow was meant to look like in the first place. Siobhan gave me a quick summary of each of the lads before they arrived. Tommy's a good-looking one, real well-bred, nice teeth. You can tell he comes from a bit of money. His mam's a rich Protestant from Bubba Dublin, but his dad's good Catholic, so he's grand. <laughs> Wait till you see the cheekbones on him. Chiseled as that. Joe has a first twinkle in his eye if you look up close, but don't be doing that or he'll see you for the freak you really are. <laughs> Not a lot to say about him, and apart from that he's mine. And I swear to God, if you so much as bet your eyelids at him, I'll rearrange your two front teeth. Siobhan advised me to act indifferent when the fellas arrived in order to create an air of mystery around myself. But under no circumstances should I look bored. Whatever you do, don't yawn. It's a first turn-off for the lads when girls yawn. Makes them think that all your guffer in the sack is sleeping. <laughs> Siobhan was the sister I never had. We were an unlikely pair. She was tall, plump, ginger and freckly. I was small, dark and only had two freckles on my whole entire body. Siobhan was loud and brazen and whenever we had a test in school she'd scribble all the answers on her thigh underneath her skirt. Siobhan always found a way to make me laugh in class. Once, during prayers when it was my turn to say the Hail Mary, Siobhan turned her eyelids inside out and touched her nose with her tongue and I burst out laughing on the blessed is the fruit of thy womb Jesus bit. Saoirse O'Brien, you are going straight to hell for that, you blasphemous wretch! Mrs McKenna, our wagon of a primary school teacher, shouted at me so loud that a big bit of spit shot through the gap in her two front teeth. She wrote a note home to Da, saying that Siobhan was leading me down the wrong garden path. Da scrunched up the note in one hand and flung it in the fire. He said it was about time I learned to think for myself and stop following Geraldine's young one around like some kind of sheep. The house was quiet and empty after school. Da would be out working, worming horses, helping awkward cows to calve, putting old dogs down, that kind of thing. Brendan had training every day after school. He was one of the best forwards the parish had seen in years. I really missed playing with him in the field after school, but I knew how important hurling was to him, how free and easy and brave he was with a hurley in his hand. He made Da so proud that sometimes when he fired the ball into the back of the net, I'd see tears in Da's eyes. It was effortless to him. He could do it with his eyes closed. I used to wonder what it would feel like to be that good at something. I didn't really have any special talents. Mrs Larkin, it's Siobhan and Saoirse, open up! Every Friday after school, me and Siobhan would call to old Mrs Larkin to ask her if she needed anything from Heaney's, the local shop. Mrs Larkin was a childless old woman with scrawny bowed legs who lived at the top of the hill. 
Geraldine Siobhan's mam said that she had an operation years ago when she was giving birth to stillborn twins. Ever since then, she could hardly walk and never came out of her house at all, apart from to go to Easter Sunday Mass. Mrs Larkin! Old Mrs Larkin was deaf as a post, so we'd hammer hard on her door for ages and ages. It's us, would you open the door? Finally, she'd appear in the doorway and look at us real suspicious, as though maybe she thought we were fish salesmen out from Limerick peddling dodgy mackerel. Then she'd lean into us, so close that we could see the whiskers growing from her droopy chin. Twenty silk copper, please, girls. And would you hurry up? God, I'm desperate for a fag. If you're quick, you can keep the change. And then, with a shaky, veiny hand, she'd reach into her apron and take out a fiver. I'd grab the note and be off, racing down the hill at the speed of light, the soles of my exhausted school shoes slapping against the ground, laughing madly, hysterical with the thrill of flight. Wait for me, would you, Saoirse? For God's sake, you're giving me a stitch. Siobhan would run out of steam practically before the end of Mrs Larkin's overgrown driveway. She was never the fittest fiddle in the case. Beck's sake, Saoirse, where's the bleeding by the time we went into secondary school, Siobhan changed dramatically. She started shifting lads and growing boobs. We couldn't race anymore, because whenever we ran, her boobs would jostle in front of her face like slightly different sized water balloons threatening to burst all over her. She developed a voluptuous rear end nearly as big as her personality. One of the cheeky lads in our class, John Adair with the spiky hair, wrote on a desk down the back, the only thing bigger than Siobhan Cahill's voice is Siobhan Cahill's arse. He read it out loud when the teacher was out of the room and everyone roared laughing. Siobhan said she didn't care. She said she was proud of her voice and her arse. But I could tell by the shininess of her eyes that she was really upset. The writing couldn't even be rubbed out. John Adair with the spiky hair had carved it in with the point of his compass. I felt sorry for Siobhan, that he had made a show of her like that, but I also admired her, the way she always left her mark on people, places, fellas and school desks. At mass, the men stared at her arse instead of the altar. Does it not drive you mad the way they go about you? Would you relax, your you big frigid? We need to find your fella, then you'll understand. <laughs> Siobhan developed her own personal trademark. It was the way she wore her long red hair up in a big pile on the top of her head, secured with a silver scrunchie. It was like a big fountain of ginger. It's me crown and glory. Every girl needs her own signature style. I'll give you some of my sister's old magazines to flick through for inspiration. But no matter how hard I looked, I couldn't find anything that suited me. Siobhan said it didn't matter. She said I had my own certain charm, a quiet mysteriousness about me, and I believed her, even if she was only saying it to be nice. When Tommy, Joe and Eamon arrived, I could feel the Guinness go into my head. Siobhan was slurring her words, and her silver scrunchie was lopsided. How are you, Siobhan? How are you? You well? Any crack? Siobhan mumbled a drunken introduction, but they didn't seem to notice me. My stomach was churning the way it did during maths tests that I hadn't learnt the formulas for. 
Siobhan had warned me not to let on that I knew anything about the fellas, not even their names. Don't you be all like Tommy this and Tommy that, right? Because Tommy's not interested in talking. And he's not quiet because he's shy. He's quiet because he's an arrogant prick. But he gets away with it because he's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> One day Siobhan announced, I've decided I'm getting a bra. We were wandering up home from school. Eileen says I can have her old one, but I don't want it like. Her tits are the size of Brussels sprouts. And anyway, all her underwear is grey as dishwater. Can you imagine how mortified you'd be if a fella took off your top and your brow was grey underneath? Jesus, I'd die. I couldn't imagine a fella taking off my top at all. Never mind how embarrassed I'd be if my underwear was the wrong colour underneath. All Siobhan's chat about fellas scared me sometimes. There were no women in my house, so I relied on Siobhan for terrifying tidbits of information about growing up. It was her who told me not to panic when I thought I was going to die of blood loss from down there when I was twelve. I wished Mam had been around to comfort me, to tell me what to do, to make me a cup of tea and buy me pads. Why don't you do the pencil test? What the hell is the pencil test? I read once that if you can trap a pencil under each of your boobs and walk around with them safely secured for an entire day, that means you need a bra. Where on earth you read that? In one of your sister's old magazines. Did you know? We went back to my house to do the pencil test because we knew that no one would be in. We locked ourselves in the bathroom but then we realised we'd left our school bags in the black and white hallway, so we didn't have any pencils. We had to improvise and use toothbrushes instead. The result of the toothbrush test was that Siobhan could trap one under her right boob, but not under her left. My God, the fellas will think I'm some kind of circus freak with one tip bigger than the other. Don't worry, Siobhan. I'd be happy to trade you my equal-sized peas for your unequal-sized melons any day. I opened my shirt to show Siobhan my boy-like flat chest. Suddenly, I was staring at her. It was like looking into a mesmerising mirror, and I felt all tingly and alive. Then I kissed her on the mouth, and her lips were warm and soft and wet. She put her tongue in my mouth, and I thought my mind might explode. And then we heard the front door bang and we had to scramble back into our shirts so fast that I nearly forgot to put the toothbrushes back in the toothbrush cup. A few weeks later, Siobhan invited me to go into Limerick with her shopping. Dad said I could go as long as I was back in time for 8 o'clock mass. He brought me to the bus to make sure I got a child ticket. He didn't want me getting ripped off just because Geraldine's young one wore too much paste on her face. Dan never let me wear a scrap of makeup. Brendan said it was because it made me look too like Mam, and Dad couldn't hack it. Auntie Mary said I was the mirror image of her. I used to be delighted when people said that, but now I realised Dad preferred not to be reminded of her. We went shopping and Siobhan bought a bra. She chose the one with the easiest access for the fellas. They get fierce nervous opening a bra. You have to make it easy for them. We were meant to get the six o'clock bus home, but then Siobhan said we had one more job to do. I have a limerick cousin, Seamus, I want you to meet. Seamus is a grand lad. Problem is, 
He's 14 and he's still a frigid. He needs to get the shift. Fast. I thought you'd be a perfect match. He's gonna meet us moving Supermax on Catcher Street in 15 minutes. Come on, hurry up. I told Siobhan I had no interest in shifting her cousin Seamus. There's nothing wrong with him, honestly. He's actually quite good looking. Well, I shouldn't say that because he's my cousin, but you know what I mean. I told Siobhan I had no interest in shifting your cousin Seamus. Feck's sake, Saoirse. Do you want to be a frigid forever or something? I'm not a frigid. I kissed you, didn't I? Oh, my God. Do you actually think that counts? I'm only trying to help you, Saoirse, out of the goodness of my own heart. You're a waste of my time, do you know that? I go out of my way to set you up with a lad, not just any lad, my own flesh and blood, and you throw it back in my face. Typical. On the way home on the bus, Siobhan didn't talk to me at all. I got sick, even though I never get sick on buses. I didn't make it home in time for eight o'clock mass, and later on, Dad roared at me that he'd never let me go anywhere again. When I went to bed, I couldn't sleep. I felt so sad about everything. I wished that Mam could have been there to give me a hug. When I was little and I couldn't sleep, I'd sneak into Brendan's room, making sure not to step on any of the creaky floorboards. I'd slip into the bed beside him and feel his warm back up against mine. I'd listen to his steady breathing and I'd be off to sleep before I knew it. But I was too old for that now. Don't worry about it at all if the lads don't talk to you, Saoirse. They're just a bunch of pricks. Why are you introducing me to pricks? They're not pricks. I never said that. You're an ungrateful dope sometimes, you know that? The lads came back from the bar, armed with pints and packets of peanuts. They had no tears on. They squeezed back in beside us in the booth. There was silence at the table. Joe, the fat one, passed around peanuts and it reminded me of my granddad's funeral when everyone shuffled around offering each other triangular egg sandwiches just for something to do. But silence never lasted long with Siobhan around. She was loud and shrill and forgot the point of the stories she was trying to tell and her jokes weren't funny at all. I could tell that the lads really liked her, though. They smiled at each other when she threw her head back and did her mad cackle. <laughs> and they obliged her by looking down her top when she leant forward and rested her boobs on the sticky surface. She settled down after a while and moved closer to aim into massages in her thigh. I made sure not to look, concentrating instead on my new hobby of shredding beer mats. You don't know that's a sign of sexual frustration, Saoirse. I could feel my face going all red and I stopped shredding beer mats and dug my fingernails into the palms of my hands instead. A few weeks later, Siobhan stopped coming to school. I thought maybe she had ringworm again, but then I met her sister Anya in the corridor. Siobhan's after dropping out altogether. She got a job as a trainee typist in O'Mara Solicitors inside Limerick. That night, Siobhan rang me on the phone to tell me her big news. She said she loved the new job. She was absolutely shite at typing, but it didn't really matter, because all she had to be able to do was make a decent cup of tea. And anyway, they loved having her ass around the office. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Ah, uh, still she a big softy. I didn't want to upset you, that was all. I really miss Siobhan around the place, but I was glad that she was happy in the new job and had a bit of cash to splash. The lads inhaled their pints. They certainly didn't seem to think the Guinness out of Wilson's taps tasted like stinking fish. 
When they went up to the bar for more drinks, I decided to make my exit. I'm really sorry, Siobhan, but I'm gonna head off. All this Guinness is making me feel squeezy. But you stay and have a good night with the lads. I'll catch up with you another time. Sir O'Brien, if you leave now, I swear to God, I'll never speak to you again in your life. As the night went on, I relaxed a bit, and I stopped thinking about going home. I even chatted to the lads. I don't really remember about what. Tommy kept on buying me drinks. I blushed when Siobhan whispered in my ear that he fancied me. Don't let me down now, you little heartbreaker. It's now or never. At closing time, Arthur Wilson turfed us all out onto the street. Siobhan banged on the door, screaming that it was a disgrace and an outrage. Me and the lads watched her from where we were sitting on the low stone wall across the road. When she got tired of banging, she tried to cross over to us, but she fell in a big pile on her arse in the middle of the road. You be careful with that arse of yours, Siobhan Cahill. It's your most valuable asset. We all started wandering up the empty road together. That's when Tommy asked me if I was going back with them. They were heading to Joe's to drink the night away. His mum and dad were away at a christening. The lads were planning to drink all the whiskey in the house and replace it with apple juice in the morning. I wasn't sure. It was getting fierce late. It didn't bear thinking about what Dad would say if I didn't go home. But I could feel Tommy looking at me, waiting for me to answer. I decided to be wild, just this once. Go on, so. Earlier that Friday, Siobhan was waiting for me at the school gates. My stomach flipped when I saw her. But then I thought, since I hadn't seen her in so long, maybe there was something wrong. Relax, would you, Saoirse? No one's died. You'll worry yourself into an early grave with that paranoid mind on you. Fancy a few drinks tonight in Wilson's. It's been ages since I seen you. I want to introduce you to my new fella and his mates. I can't tonight, Siobhan. Sorry. Auntie Mary's coming out from Nina to cook us fish dinner. You'd be more than welcome. She always makes far too much food. You could stay over afterwards and we'll have a proper catch-up. Would you go away with your fish dinner? The pub will be far more crack. Don't be such a dry shite, Saoirse. Come out for one drink, would ya? Okay, so... I'll come for one. I felt sick with nerves already and I had no idea what I was going to wear. I asked her if she fancied having a quick can of coke underneath the water tower... Like we always used to. What now? I've got this head of hair to tame and these legs to shave before tonight. You must be joking me. I met Siobhan that night at the designated meeting point, the church car park at Six Sharp. Siobhan was already there when I arrived, leaning up against the stone wall, having a cigarette, blowing smoke rings into the air and following them with her eyes. She was dolled up to the nines in an old school shirt buttoned only twice and a denim skirt she had massacred with the scissors. I was wearing a bottle green dress I had sewn myself. The hem was a bit jaggedy, but it was the only thing I had that showed off a bit of leg. Is that really the best you can do? <coughs> it looks like a feckin' shrunken version of your Sunday best. Leave me alone, Siobhan. I don't have any sisters to nick clothes off. I was really annoyed that she didn't appreciate the effort I'd put in. When Siobhan stubbed out her cigarette, we headed for Wilson's. Brendan had warned me never to drink in there. He said that the Guinness out of Wilson's taps tasted like stinking fish. At the entrance, I hesitated for a minute. Having second thoughts, Siobhan prodded me in the back. There's no going back now, love. I shagged Tommy that night in Joe's kitchen. 
or Tommy Shag Me, I suppose he could say. There were seven Christmas cakes stacked in a pile in the corner. I counted them while we did it, waiting for it to be over. I had no idea what I was doing and it was really painful. My shoulder blades were digging into the cold lino floor and I could feel all the Guinness on my stomach as he pressed himself against me. The whole experience put me off Christmas cakes for life. Afterwards, I panicked when I realised I was bleeding. But Tommy only smiled and told me to relax. He said it meant we had done it right. Don't worry about the logistics, Saoirse. I'll sort out the ferry tickets. All you have to do now is take our confirmation money out of the credit union and stay quiet. I'll nick a few bab from the stationery fund at work. We'll have loads of cash. We'll have some left over for sightseeing. We can visit the Queen. Give her the finger. Honestly, loads of girls get it done these days. True, only the other day I was inside Limerick and I saw a number on a tiled door for a woman who does it above in Dublin for cheap. But I don't know, I wouldn't trust those back alley jobs. It's better just to pay the money, go over, get it done professional life. My grandma really lives over there. She's a fierce, nice woman. She helped my cousin out a few years back. She was in a much worse state than you are now. She was lonely over there. She'd love to have a few visitors. I'll give her a ring, see what she can do for us. Saoirse, stop crying, would you? The waterworks are no good to us now. Now, Saoirse, I'm just going to ask you a few wee questions. Nothing to be too worried about. Do you know how many weeks you are, Saoirse? Right. And have you ever been pregnant before? Okay. And are you allergic to any particular medication, Saoirse? Great. And have you got anyone with you here today? No. You're sure this is what you want, Saoirse? You're comfortable with your decision? Right. So, you'll be awake during the procedure, Saoirse, but we'll give you plenty of painkillers for the discomfort, all right? And we'll keep you in for a few hours once it's all over. We'll have you right as rain in no time. You can follow me now, Saoirse. The night before London, I tapped on Brendan's door. I went in. I sat on his bed and told him that I had to go away for the weekend and would he mind telling Da I had gone up to Dublin for an interview for a job next year. What's the job? Before I could think of anything to say, I burst into tears. Brendan told me not to worry at all, that he'd tell Da and that he hoped the interview went well. I wished I could just sit there in silence on the end of his bed forever, but Brendan said he needed to get off to sleep. He had a big match in the morning. I kept myself to myself in the weeks after London. I didn't feel like doing anything or seeing anyone. I told Dad that I had caught a nasty tummy bug above in Dublin. He believed me, saying he had never seen me looking so washed out. That first morning, I lay on the floor in the black and white hallway, listening to the silence ringing in my ears. I tried praying out loud to distract myself. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. But the words did nothing to stop the tears flowing down my cheek. I felt like my life had been sewn up all wrong in stitching I couldn't rip back. 
Later on, I went down the town to buy some milk for Brendan. He was going through the white stuff at the rate of knots these days. When I was coming out of the shop, I saw Siobhan outside Wilson's. She looked as striking as ever. Her long red hair was down around her shoulders. Her silver scrunchie was on her wrist. I wanted to drop the pints of milk and run across the road to her. I wanted to race her up the hill and spin around underneath the water tower. I wanted to hug her and hold on to her and make everything go back to the way it used to be. Oi, Sersha, are you well, pet? Do you fancy coming in for a quick pint? No, thanks, Siobhan. I should be getting back. Brendan would be looking for his milk. The next morning, I knew what I had to do. I lay in bed, pretending to be asleep. I heard Da and Brendan leave, Da through the back door and Brendan through the front. I went out picking flowers in the field behind our house. I wanted to make a big, beautiful, colourful bunch, but all I could find were wild daisies and dandelions. The white and yellow were nice together, though. We only ever visited Mam once a year on her anniversary, the 4th of January, my birthday. Da hated the place. I felt nervous going on my own, but I put one foot in front of the other, and before I knew it, I was down at the church, making my way through the gravelly car park, in the rusty gate. I knelt at Mam's grave. I ran my fingers over the letters etched into the headstone. In loving memory of... She would have been 40 this year. I wondered would her long straight hair still be shiny brown like in all the photos or would there be streaks of grey at the roots. I wondered what her laugh would sound like. I wondered if she'd ever get angry. I wondered what kind of music she'd listen to. I wondered what present she'd have given me for my 16th birthday. I put the flowers down. They looked so sad and dull. I had a pain in my chest. I had a pain in my heart. Why did you have to die, Ma? Why did you have to die and go and leave me on my own, Ma? If I could have chosen, I would have let you live instead, Ma. And it's not my fault, ma'am, and I know that Dad thinks it is, but it isn't. And it's not my fault I look like you, ma'am. I never asked to look this bit of you. And I didn't want to go to England, ma'am, but I had to. I couldn't have a baby, and I'm tired, ma'am. I'm tired of always feeling sad and guilty. Suddenly, a huge gust of wind whipped up around me. My duck-egg blue dress was flapping. I had goose pimples all over my skin. I realised that Mam wouldn't want me to be sad. She'd want me to be brave and happy. She chose my name weeks before I was even born. Sersha means freedom. Mam named me to be free. I love this field. I love the squelch of the long grass beneath my feet. I love the taste of the air when you take a breath so deep you think your lungs might explode. Sometimes, when I race down from the top of the hill, I feel like I'm little again, like I'm streaking ahead of Brendan towards the imaginary finish line. For a second, 
I feel like I can fly, and the wind will carry me. We've been listening to My Name is Saoirse, written and performed by Eva O'Connor. The dramaturgs were Hildegard Ryan and Jesper Bergman. Musical pieces were composed by Harold Budd, Richard G. Evans, Robin Guthrie and Schroeder's Cat. Sound supervision was by Damien Chanel. My Name is Saoirse, written and performed by Eva O'Connor, was produced by Kevin Reynolds. And if you'd like to listen back to this or any other drama on one, take a look at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.